Clap it up for Thule. Um, is leading uh, family ministry and kids and um, just just really helping us uh, disciple our kids up in the Lord and just really grateful uh, for all God is doing through you. And thanks for leading us in worship this morning so far. I've got a couple uh, announcements here. Uh, the first is not happy. Uh, this past week, we found out from uh, the building, the property we've been looking at, uh, that they are actually going to develop it. Uh, the presbytery, who has kind of final authority, is going to develop that property, which probably means uh, some exorbitant amount of money, uh, but maybe also the death of their congregation and certainly not then the partnership with our congregation. So uh, that was a bummer to hear. I talked with uh, their pastor and their steering team. That's not fully dead yet. Uh, we could... Uh, it's like uh, the, uh, search for the uh, Holy Grail. I'm not dead yet. Uh, it's, not, it's just a flesh wound. Uh, it's, not, it's not dead yet. Um, we could possibly get in with a developer and be a part of that or, or maybe something else. They may circle back at some point. Uh, as well. But uh, in light of that, here's what I want us to do because this is a, a growth uh, moment for uh, us as a church and for us personally in Christ, which is uh, I want us to spend a moment just to pray. Um, is that me? Is that my microphone doing that? Okay. Uh, hopefully it won't do that. We'll see how that goes. Um, I want us to pray. I want us to hand over our own lives to the sovereignty of God, uh, who is gracious and good and mighty. Uh, his plans for us are gracious, good, and mighty. So I want us to hand those over uh, to him. And then secondarily, um, I think I'll just... Better? That's, that's way better. And then second, uh, I just want us in the same way that we hand our own personal lives over to the sovereign good God and whatever we're walking through trusting him. Uh, I want us to hand the building situation over to our, our good God again. And, and let's just ask him to provide the perfect space in the right time with all the provision needed uh, that we could really just sink our roots here for generations and see the gospel go out and churches planted for years and years to come. All right, so uh, let, let's do that. Let's lay our, our lives before our good sovereign God and King right now in prayer. And, and let's lay this building uh, situation before him as well. And and let's do it out loud because we're here uh, together. Let's all pray out loud at once together, handing over our lives and uh, this building situation to him, and he'll sort out our prayers uh, in heaven as he listens. Uh, let's pray now. Father, each of us have something in our own life right now where, that we just don't understand. Uh, for some of us, it's really close, uh, our own health or something in our job. 
some, uh, some of us it's with extended family or further away and God uh, each of us just come before you and acknowledge you are this sovereign good king and you're not just king and, and, and sovereign Lord over us you're, you're father you are savior you're kind merciful you're with us and we're so grateful for your son who's given us relationship with you God that we can trust you. And so, God, when it comes to this building, uh, we've been seeking you. you. You provided, Father, already just super generously through your church financially as you continue to give towards the space you have for us. But, God, now we just pray. We pray you give us the right space and the right time. God, if it's this one, would, would you circle it back or give us a great partnership with someone else to, to go in and dump a whole load of cash on them to, to secure our roots there for generations to come? Or if it's someplace else, God, would you uh, provide that in a timely way? We know we can trust you. You've always been so faithful, so good, overly, abundantly kind to us. And so we love you, we trust you, we walk with you into our futures because you hold them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Easter's coming up, and in a couple weeks, uh, we'll have this uh, Good Friday service on the 15th at 6 p.m., uh, and then we'll have Easter Sunday. It's going to be a blast, uh, so can't wait to worship with you. It's a, also a good time to invite a neighbor, a coworker, or a friend uh, to come worship along with you on a Sunday here. Uh, and uh, what we'll be doing we'll, uh, on Palm Sunday next week, we're going to look at uh, Peter's denial of Christ. And then on Easter, we're going to look at Peter's reception by Christ, his embrace of Christ. It's going to be a really sweet time. So uh, you can look forward to that. Then after Easter, we're going to head into the book of 2 Peter together, 2 Peter. But this Sunday, we close out 1 Peter with maybe one of the most terrifying verses in the book. It reads like this, verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Uh, we want to look at that uh, because we are uh, in the midst of an eternal battle and we have a mighty adversary. And uh, what we're going to do, we're just going to look at the very details of this verse in the following couple of verses and after we've kind of pulled apart uh, the different words uh, and the different details of these couple verses, uh, I'll kind of I'll pull up a chair and just be real pastoral and just share from about 18 years of, and that's not many, but it's enough uh, to know some of the turmoil of how we often try and destroy our own lives. And get swallowed up in either desire or despair. And I just want to talk about some of those things honestly here for a little while. Uh, because every one of us are just a couple decisions away from destroying our lives. Every one of us are just a couple decisions away from destroying our lives. And that's true. And sometimes the devil doesn't even have to get involved. All right, so let's look at the details um, of this verse because we are in an eternal battle uh, with eternal consequences and we do have a mighty adversary. The details of the verse, uh, the section starts in verse 6. Uh, there's kind of two main commands here. Uh, first Peter says, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I love the contrast of our God uh, compared to our adversary. Uh, uh, Here Peter says, humble yourselves therefore. Why therefore? Uh, Because the previous verse, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So let's be people who humble ourselves before God and trust him. Why? Why do we trust him? Why do we love him? Why do we keep clinging to him even in suffering? Because he cares for us. Because he loves us. Because he cares for us. I'll often uh, say to my kids, how do you know God loves you? And they'll say, well, look at what Jesus did for me. Look at what Jesus did for me. He cares for us. We know it to be true. Now, uh, then Peter's going to lay on uh, where we're going to spend the bulk of our time in these details. uh, A second command, and it's kind of linked together with too many commands in verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Be sober-minded and watchful. Sober-minded, the opposite of drunkenness, right? The idea that uh, you have no focus or control over your life. It starts with a few sips, but then after time, you've lost control. You've lost focus. And Peter says, uh, we have an adversary. Therefore, be sober-minded, clear-minded, in control of your life, and focused, uh, watchful, and waiting. Be in control. Be focused of your life. Uh, The stakes are dire. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, your adversary, the devil. He's not that little uh, red horn cartoon that kind of flutters around, but Satan himself, who who fell from heaven, uh, who who tempted Adam and Eve and, and broke everything. Our adversary, the one who's against us. The one who's real and true, that's just one of them, but he's, he's got uh, workers laboring everywhere trying to draw us away from Christ. What's he do? He prowls. He prowls around. He doesn't come threatening and, and overtly at you, but like an a angel uh, cloaked Uh, in in darkness but looking like an angel of light he he prowls around he tries to be sneaky i think back to adam and eve he he tempts them with oh don't you think god is keeping something good from you oh maybe he is he comes before jesus at his temptation he says don't you think there's a better way that doesn't involve the cross ah maybe there is He prowls. He tries to be sneaky. He says, don't you feel that loneliness in your heart? Don't you think you need that relationship with that person you know that might destroy it all? Uh, Maybe I do. And don't you think you need to avoid all your problems by drinking this or that down or watching this or that or running into this addiction or that temptation? Uh, Maybe I do need to get away. He prowls around, sneaky, not overt, not threatening, but tempting. He's a lion, a roaring lion, a mighty lion with great power. 
Well, what's he seeking? Well, he's intentionally, proactively seeking, right? He's, he's, he's prowling around looking for that opportunity intentionally, proactively uh, in your life, in my life, uh, in Ukraine, in our systems to keep uh, millions of babies being slaughtered, in our systems to keep injustice and equality uh, flourishing. He, he prowls around everywhere. Seeking proactively what? For someone, notice the specificity, you, me, someone, to devour. It's a Greek word that kind of means gulp. To swallow up. To swallow up in desire or despair. To take every piece of who we are and just swallow us into death and destruction. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3, we see that Satan's not our only enemy. Actually, uh, there we see uh, all of us are, are in, a, in a battle with our flesh. We're in a battle with Satan and we're in a battle with the patterns of this world. The temptations that come up in our own flesh that say, uh, don't trust God, trust yourself. Uh, uh, don't seek a satisfaction or pleasure or security in God. Seek it somewhere else. In our own flesh that kind of raises its head and, and draws us away from Christ into something else. Or the patterns of this world that say, live for me, live for yourself, don't live for others. Step on whoever you need to step on to get ahead. And then there's Satan himself. Like I said, we don't often need to blame Satan for our own sin. We got plenty to work with in our own lives. <laughs> but it's the same goal that Satan and our adversary has, which is to devour us, gulp, swallow us up. Uh, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. What we receive for sin, our wage, is death. Not experiencing the joy of life now and, and certainly not in all of eternity when we are separated from our God if we cling to sin rather than our Savior. Death. But Peter doesn't leave us hopeless. Here's what he says. He says, resist him, verse 9. Resist him. Resist our adversary. It's like one of my favorite verses in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says it this way. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I, I love it. It says, submit yourselves then to God, right? Uh, do the positive of moving towards the Lord, but then what? Resist the devil. What's the promise? And he will flee from you. There's a lion, but there's a mightier lion in Christ. We just sang about him. There's a name of Satan that's powerful, but there's a mightier name in our Savior who's more powerful. And when we confess our sins, when our hands are washed and purified by the blood of Christ, uh, Christ stands over us and says, this one belongs to me. Get away. And he flees from us. See, Satan here is trying to get us to let go of Christ and run to him. Run to our sin for satisfaction or desire. 
and let go of Christ in our suffering and run to other things for comfort or security. And Peter's saying, resist him and stand what firm in your faith. We know we have a good God. Keep trusting our good God. You think you've stepped past the point of no return. He says, no, no, come back to him. Resist Satan and, and cling to Christ and stand firm in the faith that, that, that the grace of God covers a multitude of sins. Stand firm in the grace of God that carries you in this suffering today into all of eternity. Stand firm in your faith. And then he says, what? Remember the brotherhood around you throughout the whole world. They're, they're struggling for the same kind of holiness in Christ. They're struggling in the same kind of suffering as they live for Christ. Remember what? then that we are not alone we have a mighty savior stand firm in the faith the grace of christ but also man we have a brotherhood a sisterhood a family it's really the theme of first peter we were built on christ as the household of god jesus being the chief cornerstone on christ with one another each of us like living stones being built linked together standing firm in faith not alone, because today is not always. Notice the promise that Peter gives, verse 10. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we agree, right? So be it. It is true. Firm in the faith because of who Christ is. Firm on a foundation because we're built on it together. We're not alone. Firm in our faith because today is not always. And when we cling to him to the end, he himself will establish us. He chose us now, he carries us, and he'll establish us. So we need to hold on to Christ and reach out to one another. We need to hold on to Christ and reach out to one another. I've gotten so many of these calls recently. It's like COVID's created this uh, pressure cooker where if there were cracks, they become canyons. Or if there were uh, bricks in relationships, they become walls. And, and I felt it in my own life. A guy, John, calls me. He's like really wrestling with his son. And, and his, his son's got special needs. And we get to talk about it together. And he says, you know, Matt, it's just so good to know I'm not alone. I call my mechanic because <laughs> I had to get a car worked on. I said, Hey, is Jonathan there? He's like, oh, man, you didn't hear, did you? No. Jonathan passed away. And I'm, I'm a pastor. I had these conversations over and over. I said, oh, man, it's bad, isn't it? He said, yeah. I said, he took his own life, didn't he? Yes, he did. How'd you know? Sitting with a supporter after supporter last week. Strong men and women in the faith just sharing their suffering now and what's going on in some of their families with their kids. This is a time we need to hold on and reach out. 
We're coming out of it now, right? Like, we're starting to come out a little bit, uh, but, but, but we're realizing, gosh, our own lives and our world is so broken, and we have an adversary, the devil, who's looking to swallow us up right now. We need to hold on and reach out. This is the time. And I'll tell you what, can you imagine walking through it without Christ and without each other? Can you imagine walking through this or any suffering or any sin and now it's gripping your life without Christ or without each other? Oh, we've got a great Savior. We've got a great family here. Hold on, reach out, and then draw others in. And draw others in. All right, let's pretend we're at Starbucks now because that's where every hard conversation occurs. <laughs> and we're sitting down. And I just want to give us four, four different things to help us resist. To help us resist the devil, to resist our, our own flesh, which draws us away from Christ, and resist the patterns of the world. To resist, to say, no way. And then not just to resist in the negative, right, but to embrace, intentionally embrace our Savior. Right, so uh, here's the hope in these just kind of four scattered ways. These are just kind of over the years, things that have piled up and, and codified a little bit as, in all these different conversations. Here's my hope that as I'm talking through each of these that, that you'd say, man, that's a way I can intentionally today resist my flesh or Satan or the patterns of this world or resist this sin or resist this despair in my life. I can resist that, and then I can intentionally embrace my Savior. Uh, so I hope you find a nugget or two in here. I'll start with a couple stories. Two phone calls and a pattern that, that arises. Phone call number one, and I've conflated some of the details of these and uh, through many stories over the years, but here's phone call number one. It happened years ago. I'm in Knoxville. I uh, just finished a retreat for uh, 100-some young adults, and it was a blast. I sit with my wife. I, I get a phone call. I'm like, oh, wow, I, he really calls. I'll, I'll pick this up. I pick it up. Uh, phone call number one and phone call number two, they start the same way, Matt. I really messed up. I really messed up. What's going on? Well, I, I think I got to tell my wife something. I'm like, oh, whoa, what happened? And he shares. Because I, I think I got to tell her what happened. I said, you, you definitely got to tell her. And so he tells her. And that begins, man, a really hard, long process of brokenness and restoration, bringing to the surfaces all these different things in marriage and relationship. That's phone call number one. Uh, here's phone call number two. And this happens in all different kinds of ways and different kinds of settings. And this is just the setting I've chosen for these two phone calls. It's a whole hundreds of them. And, and in our own lives, as we share with other brothers and sisters in Christ, man, and uh, here's phone call number two. This rings uh, just about a year or so ago. I wonder what he wants. This guy calls all the time. I know this guy really well. Starts the same way. Matt, I really messed up. Oh, man. 
what's up? He goes, I can't talk on the phone. Uh, can I come tomorrow? I say, yeah. Uh, so we sit at the well house. And he starts a conversation. I, I really messed up. Years ago. This little thing, this, that little thing there, and this little thing here. And, but I didn't tell anybody. And I decided to, to just get over it, never do any of that kind of thing again. And, and year after year went by. I never told her till today. Two phone calls, and here's the pattern. Pattern number one, sin or suffering in our life. Sin or suffering in our life occurs, and then we share it. We share it. That's pattern number one. Here's pattern number two. Sin or suffering occurs, and we stay silent. Now, in phone call number one, which has happened hundreds of times, and, and I pray it's happening hundreds of times in our body over and over again. In phone call number one, sin or suffering, and then we share it. Here's, here's what occurs. Along with the explosion of someone's life comes an explosion of grace and embrace. And it's a disaster. It's messy in suffering or sin. When you begin to walk with others in it, with, with explicitly with your Savior in it and explicitly with others in it. But in that mess, there's restoration and over time. And even in, in phone call number one, man, I look and I'm like, Gosh, what a mighty, gracious work our God and Savior is doing in this marriage and in this relationship over time. Praise God. And pattern number two. Sin or suffering occurs and the person chooses to walk it alone. Silent. And it festers, and it grows, and enslavement grows, and disaster grows, all under the surface. And then it all fell apart. Gulp. Please confess your sins one to another. Please confess your sins one to another. And watch the grace of God begin a mighty, deep work in your life. Please, if you are suffering, do not suffer alone. Reach out to someone in your community group or your 3D and say, I'm going through this. I need your help. And then walk with them and know it's going to be messy. They're going to say dumb things to you. You're going to react with anger and, and, and messiness. You're, we're in real family relationship together. But the grace of God will emerge and cover you in the process of restoration and suffering or sin. 
And you know what will not happen? Gulp. You won't be swallowed by the adversary. Four different kind of codified, I'll just call them pastoral truths of our time here. The first is this. Don't manage or make up for your sin. Confess it. Do not remain silent and manage or make up for your sin. Uh, James chapter 1 says it this way. Verse 14 and 15. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then that desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. When we manage our sin, we, we minimize it. We I think that's just not all that big of a deal. And then that, that small fungus begins to grow in our life. Or that little lizard that's on our shoulder turns into a mighty dragon. And, and disaster grows. And, and enslavement grows. And we, we just kind of try to keep it in the corner over there of our lives. Oh, that's just a little white lie that I told. And then that second one, to avoid that conflict, that's fine just to avoid conflict like that. Or to tell that little white lie to build my own identity up a little more. That's no big problem. And, and then we manage these little things. And they grow and they grow and they grow. And temptation, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's conceived and fully grown, gives birth to death. We've got to stop managing our sin. In our silence, sometimes we try and make up for our sin, too. This happened way back then. But, man, I'm going to serve the Lord like crazy from here on out. Nobody knows about this, so it's not bringing any uh, impact in my own life or the lives of others. And, and no one knows that I struggle with this or that. And so I'll just be better, more holy. I'll serve him more. I'll try harder. And all we're saying in that when we stay silent is this. The death of Jesus is not sufficient for my sin. That's what we're saying. I have to make up for this or that. I cannot share this or that because it's not done. It's not paid for. I'm not pure and holy and blameless, a son or a daughter of God. I've got to make up for it. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And the gospel will set you free. The good news of Jesus, when you, when you say, this is really who I am and really what's going on. Uh, I, when, when I'm pursuing my own body image by uh, not eating this or that or eating it all or throwing up this or that. When I am pursuing my own lust in this or that. And, and when we cannot share that, all we're declaring is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is insufficient. But it is sufficient. He is sufficient. So for our little sins, little sins, whether it be pornography or flirting or little lies, man, bring them out now. Bring them out now. For your hidden sins, your past abortion, you're trying to walk it alone, bring it out. Talk to someone about it. Otherwise, he will swallow you up in it in your guilt. 
second nugget. Fight Satan with a daily pursuit of Christ. Fight Satan with a daily pursuit of Christ. Ephesians uh, chapter 6. It's the armor of God. And, and anytime I used to read the armor of God, I, I would think, oh, man, that guy's a real soldier. That's like a tough Christian. That's amazing spiritual warfare kind of stuff. That's not me. <laughs> then I read it through, and I'm like, well, that's actually pretty ordinary stuff with some cool language around it. But the kind of nitty-gritty, everyday relationship with the mighty king kind of stuff. Paul says it this way, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And we read, read things like the belt of truth. He's like, read your Bible. <laughs> of the breastplate of righteousness, do what you know you ought to do. The gospel of peace. Keep reminding yourself of what's true of who Jesus is. The shield of faith. Keep believing the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and pray all the time. He's like, keep talking to God. You hear it? It's like, Day in, day out, get your journal out, pray and talk to him, read your Bible, <laughs> listen to him, grow in relationship with him. Because in the moment of suffering, in the moment of sin, it's not one in that moment, it's, it's one in a long relationship with the living God. COVID has certainly put us in a pressure cooker. Man, keep holding on in your just day in, day out, ordinary relationship with Jesus. And then when it starts to feel like it's going to pop and break, make sure you reach out. Next nugget. Sometimes you just got to run. Just got to run away. <laughs> you just got to run. There's a couple times in the scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. We don't need to go there, but uh, Paul's like, Hey, uh, in, when it comes to sexual immorality, here's what he says. Flee! <laughs> He's like, just run away. <laughs> it's really powerful. It's really tempting. Just get out of there. <laughs> he says the same thing about money in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. He's like, don't get uh, entrapped with this pursuit of money or building up your own empire. But, but instead, just, just run away. It's really powerful. Just get out of there. <laughs> Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, talks about a similar kind of thing. Uh, Matthew's like, man, don't dabble with lust. He says, but instead, gouge your eye out. Cut your hand off. <laughs> he says, it's way better to lose a member of your body than to end up in the fires of hell, he says. He says, sometimes you just got to do something drastic. You, you got to turn and run. And sometimes you got to lop this or that out of your life. Why do you still have the Facebook app on your phone? If over and over again you keep comparing yourself to others and coveting what they have steals your joy, why is it still on your phone? If you keep stumbling on Instagram, why is it still on your phone? If you keep watching the wrong kinds of movies on Netflix, why do you still have Netflix? These are like no-brainers here, guys. And I speak to myself, too. 
Last one. Sin never leads to life. It never leads to life. Sin never leads to life. The scriptures are true, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Now, you see it in your own relationships, right? Uh, you're critical of your spouse or controlling. And every time those things kind of surface, what's it do? It steals intimacy and joy. Death. Right? All over, big or little, sin, all it does is bring death. Because it's temporary, insufficient, destructive, and enslaving. Sin is temporary, insufficient, destructive, and enslaving. That's all it is. It, because at its core, at its root, it is saying, I do not trust you, Jesus, my Savior. Instead, I trust you, Satan, or myself and my flesh or the ways of this world. I trust you to give me what he, Jesus, cannot give me. So that will bring destruction and death in your life. Why? Because it's temporary, not eternal. And it'll bring this flashpoint of, whoa, that felt good, or that, that was a great escape, and then death. It's temporary. It's insufficient. You know, that relationship with a non-believer you're in right now, you're living together, it's, it's insufficient. You're longing for a deeper intimacy with God himself and with his people, and you're going to that shallow well to fill it. And it never will. It's destructive. When the Lord says, uh, give your money away, don't hoard it, he's looking out for our best interests. Because sin destroys the insides of our heart and mind. And it's enslaving. The more we give it, the more we keep coming back, it gives just enough each time and grows bigger and bigger that it gradually overcomes our life. I'll never forget, uh, it was in seminary, and uh, Chuck Swindoll, and he wrote a bunch of great books, uh, and he was old at the time, he'd become chancellor at Dallas Theological, where we were, and, um, and he comes in, he comes in a chapel to give this, uh, to give this sermon to us, 100 some 50 practicing to be, uh, studying to be pastors, and he's always normally just really jovial, and he's got these big old jowls, and they're like... <laughs> He's like, hey, and he's always happy. It's Chuck Smendall, you know, happy old man, picture kind of Santa Claus. And he gets up in the pulpit, and he's not happy today. Actually, he's, he's pissed. He's angry. And he goes, this is my talk. And he takes it, he throws it to the side. I'm like, oh, boy, you know. He goes, I just got off the phone with my worship leader who committed adultery. Oh my, now he's got all of our attention. And so he just, for like an hour, it's supposed to be 30 minutes, just rips into us. He's like, don't you ever. And he just kind of gets after us as pastors, right? You will ruin your life. And then, then he goes, now take out a piece of paper. And we're like, yes, sir. And we take out a piece of paper. He says, I want your list everything on it that you would lose if you did something like this. And so we're listing. He's like, list more. You'll lose more. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And we're writing it down. He says, now, 
You take that and you put that in your underwear drawer and you look at it every day. And we're like, okay, his jowls are like, I'm like, we'll do it, you know. I'll never do what your worship pastor did, you know. Oh, man. Satan's trying to destroy our lives by getting us to let go of Christ, either for some desire or in despair in our suffering. And Peter here, he says, man, hold on to Jesus. Stand firm in your faith. What's that look like for the life of a Christian? It just looks like this. That we're transparent, we're repenting, and then over time we'll see ourselves winning. That's it. It's a simple thing. We're transparent. That over and over in our life we just keep saying, hey, here's what I'm struggling with in terms of suffering. Or here's what I'm struggling with in terms of sin. We keep sharing that with our, our spouses, with our, our, our coworkers, our, our, our friends, our neighbors, and particularly our church. We're just transparent people. And we bring the nitty-gritty, the dirty stuff, particularly in our 3Ds, in our community groups. And if you've got no one to tell, just email me. It's a great privilege of my life to walk with folks and connect to others in the body, being transparent. Uh, and then we're repenting. We're, we're saying, how do, I, how do I win in this area of suffering? If I'm suffering in my life, what's it look like to pursue Christ along with my brothers and sisters in Christ? And, or in sin, what's it look like to, to turn from sin and, and to embrace Christ? What, what's a plan look like to win there with Jesus and his grace? Because he still loves me and embraces me. And then lastly, there's this winning aspect, and you'll see it over time in your life uh, in terms of the iteration, the repetition of sin in your life, and, and in terms of the scope or the magnitude of sin in your life, what you'll see is the grace of God will transform you. And like Paul, we'll groan all the way home, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But we will go all the way home, never swallowed up because we never let go of our Savior. Why? Because he holds us now and forever, because he holds us now and forever. And notice where uh, Peter ends. He ends his book with a big old amen. <laughs> Verse 10, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you, you're his. You're precious. You're blameless and pure in Christ. You're his. He called you. He made you his called you where to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is the truth of the gospel we remind ourselves every week of. That we have a mighty Savior. And it's to him we look to every day, every week, over and over again, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our, our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We consider him who endured this opposition from sinful men. Why? That we will not grow weary or lose hope. Every week we remember, man, I got some nasty sin in my life, but man, I got a mighty Savior who loves me and embraces me. Man, I'm walking through a hard thing this week, but man, I got a mighty Savior who's with me, is walking with me. Man, I am not alone. I'm with everyone here. 
So we hold on and we reach out and we go deeper with each other and we go deeper with Christ and the realities of our life. We get transparent, we repent, we turn from our sin and we see him bring victory by his grace. So if you're a believer, would you take this communion this morning as a reminder of who your Savior is and that he's so present with you right now? And then when you, don't stop there. If there's something you need to confess or something you're struggling with in, in life, would you share that with somebody this week? And if you're not a believer, and don't get swallowed up. Don't get swallowed up in despair or desire that leads to death. But this morning, instead of taking communion, would you take Christ? Would you receive Jesus this morning? Would you cling to his grace? Would you trust in him? Just talk to him now. Say, I want you, Jesus, <laughs> and receive your Savior. Let's take and eat together.